feeling okay in our quads from last weekend, you know, when we did those squats with Dr. Dr. Hooten. Like Belinda said, we're in a series called God Strong. And we're taking a look at four areas of our life that we want God's strength in. We start out by taking a look at our spiritual health, being God strong spiritually. Last week, we took a look at our physical health, being God strong physically. Today, we're going to take a look at how to be God strong financially. And before we jump into this, I want us to give Frisco, our satellite, a big round this morning. So Frisco... Good morning to you. We are glad you are with us there, okay? In way of introduction of this subject matter, I have asked our very own Mark Bina, who is a Dave Ramsey financial coach who leads our very own Financial Peace University here at LifePoint to speak. In 2008, since 2008, I should say, over 400 people have gone through financial peace. Mark, as a coach, has spoken at homeless programs, women's shelters, singles groups, and premarital classes. He is one guy who is passionate about finances. And I'm going to let him come up here and introduce this subject matter. Let's give it up for Mark Bean, okay? Mark? Good morning, LifePoint. My name is Mark Bina, and I have a financial coaching ministry here at LifePoint. I got a question for you. As a culture, how do you think we're doing with our finances? Well, according to the National Association of Credit Counselors, 64% of households say that they would not have $1,000 in savings to take care of an emergency. 70% of the population lives paycheck to paycheck, not because they don't make money, but because they're in debt up to their necks. Debt is an is, is a epidemic in Collin County. And nationally, total credit card debt stands at $890 billion. Total car debt stands at $1 trillion. And student loan debt, oh my goodness, student loan debt is $1.3 trillion. Since 2009, there's been an average of 1 million bankruptcies per year. And in 2009, or 2011, home foreclosures peaked at 3.9 million. Now, to top it all off, the number one cause of divorce in America, money fights and money problems. What does that say about our stewardship? As Christians, we have a Christian spiritual obligation to manage money well. I want to be the best possible manager of God's money that I can be. But there was a time when I didn't manage money well. When I was 23 years old, and I knew everything, I learned how to use credit. Or should I say how not to use credit? And I dug myself a hole. And it came to a turning point one night. I was lying awake in bed, staring at the ceiling, wondering how I was going to make all the payments that were coming due. And something snapped in my brain. I said, you know what? I've had it. That's it. I'm not doing this anymore. I am getting out of debt, and I am never coming back. 
Folks, I haven't had any personal debt for 30 years. I haven't had a mortgage for 23 years. I don't have a credit card, and I don't have a credit score. And you know what? I don't tell, I don't tell, you, that, I don't tell you that to impress you. I tell you that to show you what's possible. If I did it, you can too. Now fast forward to 2008, I got involved in Financial Peace University here at the church, and I started learning what, what the Bible had to say about money. And a pastor told me that there were 2,350 scriptures about money in the Bible. And, and, and my, first, my first question was, why? Why does the Bible talk so much about money? And I think it's because God knew that we would struggle in this area. So he left plenty of instructions in his book. Let's take a look at two scriptures. The first one is Proverbs 22.7. And Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, I don't care how much money you make. If all the money comes in and all the money goes out to payments on stuff, you feel like a slave to the lender. Now, there's good news. I got away. You can too. Slave to the lender, no more. And the most telling scripture in the Bible about money and debt is Proverbs 6, 3 through 5. It's instruction. And, and it says, if you are in debt, my son, do this. I mean, here it is. If you are in debt, my son, do this to free yourself. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids, and free yourself like a gazelle running for its life from the cheetah. The imagery is perfect here. The Bible says we should run from debt as if our life depends on it. You see the gazelle? Gazelle's got motivation. What about you? What's your motivation? What's the grand vision for your life that's going to keep you on track this year when it gets a little tough? Everybody complete this sentence in your mind. I want to get out of debt because. It might sound something like this. I want to get out of debt because I'm sick and tired of being stressed out by money. I want to get out of debt because I'm tired of all the money coming in and all the money going out on payments, on stuff. I want to get out of debt because I work too hard to have nothing to show for it at the end of the month. I want to get out of debt because I want to get out of debt because I'm tired of arguing with my spouse about money. I want us to work together. I want us to communicate about money. Because when you're talking, with your, you're talking about money with your spouse, what you're really talking about is your goals and your dreams and your life and your values and your life together. How cool would that be? I want to get out of debt because I want to be a stay-at-home mom. Because I want to volunteer my time to causes that are near and dear to my heart. I want to get out of debt because I want to be a bigger giver. I want to get out of debt because I want to set a better example for my kids. I want to get out of debt because I want to change my family tree. 
I want to get out of debt because I want my kids to go to college without the burden of student loans. I want to get out of debt because I want to retire with dignity. I want to get out of debt because I want to walk confidently in the direction of my dreams. I want to get out of debt because I don't want the shackles of debt to keep me from God's best calling on my life. I want to get out of debt because, because I want to step into everything God created me to be. Why not you? Why not now? Let's make this your year. I love Mark's passion. And there is no air, other area in our life that resonates like this one. So this morning, let's just jump into God's word and understand how you and I can be financially free so that we can become all that God wants us. And in order to get there, we have to understand God's financial laws of pre freedom. And there are six. The first one is simply this. Remember that God is the source. This is the law of ownership. It is the cornerstone of financial freedom. If you forget this when you are going to live your life under with tension your entire time. Because you because you think that the source of your being comes from yourself or your bank account or your 401k or, or, or some other thing. But to live a stress-free life where you are truly free, you have to have something that can't be taken away from you. And that is God's relationship with you. Your savings, your 401k, your bank account, your job is not your security. All those things can be taken away from you. And when it does, what do we do? We just freak out, don't we? We get nervous. We get, we get weighed down with the chains of bondage. We've got to remember that God is our source. We look to him. He's the one that can turn on the faucet, and he's the one that can turn off a faucet. If God shuts the door, guess what? He can open up another door. And when you and I remember that he's the source we live in freedom. Take a look at Deuteronomy 8, 18. Always remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Now, will you circle the word produce? God gives you the ability to produce wealth. If God didn't give you the ability to produce wealth, you couldn't produce wealth. But understand this, God wants you to be productive there is nothing wrong with being productive in spite of some of the protests that happen on Wall Street, as long as you are doing it God's way. This scripture says God gives you the ability to produce wealth. And in every economy, there are wealth producers and there are wealth takers. In every nation, it's, it's easier to be a taker than it is to be a maker. God wants you and I to produce and we need to see him as the source. Look at Romans eleven thirty six. Everything comes from God. Everything exists by his power and everything is intended for his glory. This is the law of ownership. Now the second financial law of freedom is honor God first. This is the law of tithing. 
Now, you've heard me say this before, that whatever you want God to bless, you need to put him first in. If you want God to bless you vocationally, relationally, financially, you need to put him first in it. These next four verses that we're going to look at very quickly here deal with the promise, the purpose, the place, and the day of tithing. First of all, let's take a look at the promise out of Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of your, all your income, and he will fill your barns to overflowing. He says, you put me first in your finances, and I will bless your socks off of you. And to put God first in your finances, that isn't giving him the leftovers. No, it's giving him the first part of your income. It's called a tithe, 10%. Now, what's the purpose of that? Take a look at Deuteronomy 14, 23. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Folks, when you and I give God first place in our finances, what it does are three things that pertain to your past, your present, and your future. When you give God first place in your finances, it says, it says this, that I'm grateful for my past. Secondly, it says, God, you're number one in my present. And then thirdly, you're saying, God, I'm trusting you with my future. The purpose of tithing has a past, a present, and a future application. Where is the place? Well, the place is where you worship. Take a look at Malachi 3.10. Bring to my storehouse, that's your place of worship, a full tenth of what you earn. Test me in this, says the Lord. I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out all the blessings you need. In essence, God's saying here, you test me in this. See if you can outgive me. You bring the first part of your income to me, and you bring it where? To the place where you worship, and see if I don't bless your socks off of you. Now, why do we do it at, on Sunday mornings? It's because it's where we worship, and giving is an act of worship. Oftentimes when I am up here, I will say, let's after I'm done with the message, I'll say, let's just continue in our worship as we give back to the Lord and sing our final song. It is an act of worship where I'm saying, I'm grateful, you're number one, and I'm trusting you with my future. Now, when am I supposed to do it? What day? Take a look at 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of every week, will you underline that? What is the first day of every week? It is not Monday, okay? <laughs> it is Sunday. Put aside some of what you have earned during the week and use it for the, for the offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you to earn. In other words, he's saying if you earn a lot, you give a lot. If you earn a little, you give a little. If you earn zero, you give zero. And he's saying that you and I do that on the first day of the week. Now circle the phrase, put aside some. What that means is this, you plan it. You see, giving is not to be pressured. I don't believe in pressured giving. If, if someone is pressuring you to give, don't give. You have my permission as, as the senior pastor. Say, my senior pastor says, I don't have to give when I feel pressured to give. And that's even on a Sunday morning. God doesn't want pressured giving. He wants planned giving. And I would say this, that the best way to do that, in my opinion, is through automatic online giving. It just makes it easy, and there's no pressure. Now, my wife is old school. <laughs> 
With her income, she likes to write out the check of her tithe and put it in the offering basket herself. I really don't care. However you do it, plan it. Set some aside. Now, if you get these two parts, that it all comes from God, and that I'm to honor God first, I'm gonna let you know this, that the other principles come a lot easier. And so what are they? Well, the third financial law of freedom is simply this, save money faithfully. This is the law of investing. Did you know that God has commanded you not to spend all of your money? He has. It's one of, the, one of the six laws of financial freedom. Oftentimes, as you go through the, the Gospels and read the parables of Jesus, he mentions that a person who invests money is wise, but a person who doesn't is foolish. Now, why does he say that? It's because when you invest your money, it, may, it, may, it works for you instead of you working for it. If you're not saving money, if you're not investing money, guess what? Your money isn't working for you while you're sleeping. You're still working for it. And God says this, I want you to work smarter and not harder. And so God says, after you've given the first part to me, then you give yourself a part. I call it the 10-10-80 rule. 10% to God, 10% to myself, and I live off of 80 now, if you're sitting here and you're, and you're thinking, you know what, I can't afford to give, then you're overspending your income. God says this is a test of our IQ. Take a look at this verse, Proverbs 21, 20. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Do you realize that the average Japanese person saves 20 5% of their income. The average European saves 18% of their income. The average American spends 1% over their income. Why? Because we have this mentality, you know what? I deserve it, even though I can't afford it, I deserve it and I want it now. You see, a lot of people, by the time they get to retirement, aren't gonna be able to retire because they're gonna have nothing for it. If that's the case, you're not following God's plan for financial freedom. Now, I want you to notice a couple of verses here about how to save. Take a look at Ecclesiastes 11, verse two. Invest what you have in several different places because you don't know what disasters might happen. You see, any money manager will tell you this, that you must diversify. That you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. You should put some of your eggs in one, this basket over here and some of your eggs over in this basket over there. And as you do that, it's not like you put a lot. You don't even have to put a lot. You can just put a little, a little here and a little there because that's a principle out of God's word. It's the second way to give. Take a look at, at, at Proverbs 13, 11. Money that comes easily disappears quickly, but money that is gathered little by little will grow. You may not know this, and maybe you do, because just a week or so ago, they had the biggest lotto in, in, in the world, I think. It was $1.6 billion, and several people won it. 
But statistically, if you win the lotto, you will be broke anywhere between five to seven years. Why? Because money that has gotten easily disappears quickly. Will you circle the phrase little by little? What God is trying to teach there is this, that it's not the amount that you save, but rather it is the consistency in which you do it. One of the greatest miracles of mankind is compound interest. Amazing. Let's just say, for instance, that you just graduated, that your name is Amy, and you just graduated from college, you just landed your first job, and you just got married. And for the first six years of your marriage and your life, you're working. You're working full-time, and every month you are putting aside $300 a month. And at year number seven, you have a family. And all of a sudden, you're not going to work anymore. You're going to be a stay-at-home parent, and you're going to just be there for your kids 100% of the time. In that six-year period of just working, of, of saving $300 a month, you accumulated $21,600. The average return from the mutual funds since the inception of the, the Standard & Poor stock market, or whatever they call it, Standard & Poor index, okay, is 11.69%. Do you know if all you did was save $300 a month for six months, totaling $21,600, by the time you get to be 65 to retire, you will have well over a million dollars. These are the laws that God has put in place. And he says, if you ignore them, you're going to be in bondage. You're going to be slaved. You're going to be stressed out. But if you incorporate them into your lifestyle, little by little, you're going to be blessed. The fourth is this. Keep good records. This is the law of accounting. Until you do this, you are going to remain in bondage. You must track where your money is going and what it is doing. And today, we have a lot of tools to help us, don't we? We, we have tools on our, our phones, little apps that can do that. Some are simple and some are more complex. Whatever you choose, it really doesn't matter. You just need some system to help you. Take a look at Proverbs 21, verse 5. Plan carefully and you will have plenty. If you act too quickly, you will never have enough. He's saying there, keep good records. Take a look at Proverbs 27. Riches can disappear fast, so watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and herds. Now, what does that mean? Well, to understand that proverb there, you need to understand that back then, they didn't have the New York Stock Exchange. What they had was their livestock, their sheep, their goats, their animals. And he's saying to his audience there, you need to take a look and know your assets. Know how many chickens you have. Know how many goats you have. Know how many cattle you have. For you and I in the 21st century, it would mean you need to understand your stock, okay? Have you ever heard this phrase, money talks? You ever heard that? That's going around a lot now in this political campaign because of someone who's quite wealthy, okay? Money talks. Can I just say this? It doesn't. 
it flies away. Have you ever heard yourself say this? Where does it all go? I just can't believe it. Come to the end of the month, where has it all gone? If you hear yourself saying that, you are violating this law. You see, the, th- the formula for financial bondage is a really simple one. Easy credit plus ignorance equals disaster, equals stress, equals conflict, equals bondage. Take a look at Proverbs 23, verse 5. Your money can be gone in a flash as if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. You know what I love about our government? Is that they put an eagle on every dollar to remind us of this principle. (laughs) There is a fifth law of financial freedom. And here it is. Plan my spending. This is the law of budgeting. You see, the Bible has an enormous amount to say about planning. In fact, the Bible says that you and I need to plan our time, our talent, and our treasures. Look at Proverbs 21, verse 5. Plan carefully and you will have plenty. If you act too quickly, you will never have enough. Now, will you circle the phrase, act too quickly? This is what marketing people call impulse buying. Any of us here familiar with impulse buying? I'll tell you who the biggest proponents of this impulse buying is, big box stores. You go into these big box stores and you see all this stuff. And I've noticed at the big box stores, they always have the TVs right in front, not the little 32-inch kind. We're looking at the 70, 75-inch right up front. Why? Impulse buying. I was walking into one of these big box stores, and I won't tell you the name, but it starts with a C. And there is this couple that are walking in, and the spouse says to her husband, why are we going in? And he said, I just want to look. Have you ever bought anything that you later regretted? Folks, we all have. What's the antidote? You nip it in the budget. Okay? And a budget is nothing more than planned spending. Now, when it comes to a budget, there are three things you've got to include. The first is this, living on a budget. It does you and I no good to plan one and not live it. You must live it. Take a look at Proverbs 21, verse 5. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. The second thing that you plan is this. You plan repayments. You set up a repayment plan. You didn't get into debt overnight, and you're not gonna get out of debt overnight. You have to set up a repayment plan to get out of debt. And may I say this? And stay out of debt. Take a look at Proverbs 3, 27. Don't withhold repayment for your debts. Romans 13, 8, let no debt remain outstanding. You see, as your pastor, who loves you? I don't want you to be in financial bondage. I want you to be free, like Mark says. And I've been with Mark for a number of years, 10, 15 years. We've gone back a long time. And every time Mark communicates this, he tears up. 
because he sees families coming in that are just being ravaged by debt. The third thing you plan is this, you make a will. You need a will to tell your money where you want it to go after you die. And that's important because the mortality rate is 100% the last time I checked, okay? If you don't do this, guess who's gonna tell you where your money's gonna go after you die? The government. Do you want the government doing that or do you wanna do that? Cheryl and I have a will. And we change it frequently. In fact, in December, after I heard this teacher said that he was the son of Cheryl, I changed my will. I wrote him out of it, okay? Just kidding. <laughs> but you get a will and you maintain it. We've got a, a, a group out there that'll help you do that. The sixth financial law of freedom is this. Enjoy what you have. This is the law of contentment. If you are only happy when you are getting a little bit more, then guess what? You will never be happy. There are so many people who are so busy trying to get more that they don't even enjoy what they have. Truly in Collin County, the most typical person is one who goes out and buys more house than they can afford. Then they go in further debt by furnishing it. And then for the next 30 years, they are huffing and they are puffing and huffing and they are puffing to pay it off and they're not even enjoying it. And what they did when they started that was, th was that their thinking was it was going to be temporary. But what is thought to be temporary soon becomes a permanent lifestyle and it robs people of freedom and so I say this let's just slow down let's slow down let's don't be so busy at getting more where we don't enjoy what we have take a look at Ecclesiastes 519 if God gives us wealth and property and lets us enjoy and lets us enjoy them, we should be grateful and enjoy what we have worked for. It is a gift from God. Paul said it like this, Philippians 4.11, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. You see, contentment is an inside job. Your internal happiness is determined not by what you don't have, but rather by what you do have and how you respond to it. And Solomon, the wisest guy in the world, says, be grateful for what you have. You see, on your outlines is an approach that the world has. As soon as it makes money, notice it. They spend it. Then they worry about it. And then if they have any left over, they repay it. And if they have any left over from that, they save it. And if they have any left over from that, they might give some. That's not God's approach to financial freedom. His approach is much different. He says, dedicate it, I'm the source. Tithe it, honor me first. Third, save it, pay God first and then pay yourself. Fourth, repay it, get out of debt and stay out of debt. And then fifth, enjoy it. Now, at the top of your outline, I want you to look at that verse in Luke 16. You see, the reason that we are teaching this 
isn't just so that we can be financially free. No. The reason that we do this is because we want to see other people free, don't we? The average car payment in America is $500 a month. Let's just say we have 1,000 people at LifePoint. We have more than that, but let's say we have 1,000. If every individual got rid of their car payment, do you know how much money that would be in one year for kingdom causes? Six million dollars that could be used for kingdom purposes where you could be free to go on a missions trip, where you could be free to get involved in a ministry to help the homeless or those who are hurting, who are going through some relational thing. You see, these principles aren't just for our freedom. They are for the freedom of others that we might be able to reach more people for Jesus Christ so that they might understand that he is personal, that he is practical, and that he is positive, that he has a purpose for their life, and he has a plan to get them there, and it will be one that is fulfilling and fruitful because God wants us productive. And so, as we close, I want us to take a moment before we take the offering and sing the last song and then go out into the financial fair hallways is I want us to pray for those who are hurting in this area because there are a lot of people that live with the stress. Will we make it to the end of the month? Will we have enough? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there is not an area in our life that you don't have, con have concerns about, that you don't have a word for us in. We thank you that we're just not all spiritual, though that's important and that's where everything flows from. God, we thank you for your word in regards to our spirit and knowing how to walk with you to have a relationship with you, a relationship that never ends. But we thank you, God, for your physical laws that help us to be God strong in regards to our health, in regards to our bodies. And God, we thank you for your laws that are in your word in regards to our finances and how your vision for us is not to be shackled is not to be enslaved, is not to be in bondage, but rather to be free. Free to be all that you've called us to be and free to do all that you've called us to do for your glory and for other people's good. And so God, we wanna pray for our church family, for those who are struggling financially. God, you know what their needs are. Would you do a miracle in them and for them? Do a miracle in them by changing their mind, transforming their minds, and practicing your principles. Give them hope as they do that, God, that they might truly see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. 
And so God, do a work. Take this message. May they put it on their refrigerator. May they review it every day. God, help. Help those who struggle in this area. And so God, we give you this. In your son's precious name, amen.